Sir Desmond Sterling in Dread Rock's Holiday, Part 5 I must have been unconscious mere moments. As soon as I woke, I scrambled to my feet, head throbbing like my own personal Passchendaele, to escape the looming galleon. But to my utter bewilderment, of the ship, there was no sign. Where could the blasted thing have buggered off to? It had been mere yards away, and there was no way that it would have missed the lighthouse. If that ship was the Titanic, then Dreadrock's lighthouse was the iceberg, and a collision was as inevitable as Christmas. The storm hadn't abated in the least during my brief snooze. I stood on the balcony for a while, clinging to the railing to prevent my being swept overboard, urging the sea air to clear my muzzy bonds. This was a fine old puzzle, I admitted to myself. I wasn't sure if even the mighty Sterling Grey Matter could decipher this one. I staggered back into the lantern room. Mayhaps the diving suit had scarpered along with the ghostly galleon. But before I could investigate that, another odd thing distracted my attention. Where I had fallen and bashed my head on the base of the lantern, a panel had swung open, revealing... What? A sliver of darkness lay beyond, allied with a whiff of stale, damp air. What could this be? I tugged the panel fully open and peered into the darkness. Beneath the lantern, there was a ladder, descending down a deep, unfathomably deep, dark well. Where the hassle could it lead? I can't say it looked enticing. There's rarely anything good in impenetrable gloom. But frankly, could it be any worse than what I was facing in the lantern room? What with spooky ships and ambulatory diving suits? I was, however, clad only in underpants. Shoeless, too. Not ideal armour for a possibly dangerous expedition into dark and mysterious depths. I had noticed earlier an oilskin sou'wester hanging in the lantern room. There were some Wellington boots, too. I niftily clad myself in them, hauled myself into the well, and began the descent into who knows what. That's when I discovered that climbing down a ladder while wearing Wellington boots was a skill I had yet to master. Within moments, I was engulfed in a blinding darkness. I couldn't even see the ladder to which I was clinging. I continued to descend, my sense of time evaporating with my vision. I tried to match the number of rungs I descended to the number of steps there were in the lighthouse. By my reckoning, I must have plunged much further than the ground floor and was now below sea level. I still couldn't see a damn thing, but the air felt damper with each passing rung. How far could it go? I began to worry that the next step would just plunge me into the sea. I could no longer hear the storm, just a background rumble which I presumed to be the sound of the sea. Although, as it was a long time since I last ate, it could have been my stomach. A tot of whiskey wouldn't go amiss either. I began to be aware that I could see more of my surroundings. 
Either my eyes had finally adjusted to the blackness, or there was light leaking in from somewhere. I suspected the latter. I looked down. Yes, there was a shaft of light a few yards beneath me. I felt a huge sense of relief. Strong as I am, even my muscular arms were tiring, and I knew I would soon have to rest. I refrained from rushing, though. Who knew what I would encounter when I reached the source of the light? The ladder came to an abrupt halt. The small amount of light revealed that I had reached the bottom of the shaft, and the only exit was a small hole, just big enough to crawl through, which was also the source of the meagre light. The ground was wet, but solid enough. I was excited at the prospect of what I was to discover, but my many wartime experiences taught me to be cautious. There may be trouble ahead. I crawled through the hole towards the light and gasped at what I discovered. As opposed to the dank little tunnel I'd expected, I found myself in a most enormous cavern. A natural chasm originally, but later carved into something quite magnificent. One might almost call it a rock-hewn cathedral. The ceiling was so high that it must be situated just below the seabed. Vast stalactites hung from the roof like the fangs of giant vampires. Rocks of varying sizes were dotted about the cavern, and on each flickered a blood-red candle. The air was surprisingly fresh, albeit with a tang of salt in the air, not to mention a whiff of fish. At the far end of the cavern, there was a large table carved from an enormous slab of stone. A scarlet cloth was draped over it, on which stood more guttering candles. It put me in mind of an altar. Perhaps this place was more cathedral-like than I originally surmised, but I suspected it wasn't as cosy as our beloved parish churches, presided over by an eccentrically eyebrowed parson who would cycle from cottage to cottage, whether dispensing wise counsel to despairing wives or death rites to the imminently dead. This place reeked not just of salty fish, but of heathenry. My fears were confirmed when I noticed what was hanging above the altar. A vast crucifix suspended from the roof. But this crucifix differed from those in the cathedrals which give such delight in our green and pleasant country. In a mockery of all that is holy, this crucifix was hung upside down. I was getting a bad feeling about this. A tingle of danger crept up my spine. I instinctively ducked down behind a handy stalagmite. A robed and cowled figure was approaching the altar. Whoever it was bowed before the inverted crucifix, the filthy swine, and then placed a silver tray on the altar. I couldn't see what was on the tray, but past experience convinced me that they would be implements of beastliness. The figure suddenly turned away from the altar. He glanced around the cavern, the black eye-holes in his cowl coming to halt in my general direction. Could he see me? 
I was sure the stalagmite was hiding me sufficiently. I held my breath and tried to quell the thumping of my heart. The robed figure seemed reassured, and once more facing the altar, removed his cowl. Even with his broad back to me, I instantly identified the scoundrel. It was old Jethro. Sir Desmond Sterling in Dreadrock's Holiday was written and performed by Anthony Keach.